I'm Michelle Shoemate, and this is Networks for Social Impact, a podcast from the Network for Nonprofit and Social Impact at Northwestern University. Stick around to hear research insights on how organizations working together can and do move the needle on the most pressing social issues of our time. Today, we're continuing our series, Networks for Social Impact in Education, where we're highlighting a few of the successful networks that we studied in our research. Today, I'm grateful to welcome to the show Christina R. Scott, the CEO of Learn to Earn Dayton in Montgomery County, Ohio. Christina is a relatively new CEO, joining Learn to Earn Dayton in September of 2020, Before that, she led Alabama Possible as its executive director. Learn to Earn Dayton is an exemplary network in our research, in part because it's one of the only collective impact networks that we found evidence for moving the needle on student achievement in the way that we um, investigated it in our research. Learn to Earn Dayton is a, a large collective impact network that really epitomizes Um, the ways that systems alignment and in particular data can be used in order to, in Christina's words, shine a light on particular problems and bring everyone together into systems alignment as a process. One of the things that I particularly appreciated in this conversation is Christina's willingness to be authentic about where Learn to Earn Dayton is as it pursues greater equity in its work. And in doing so, pilot some of the directions that they're heading as a network. I'm sure you're going to learn so much from this conversation. Today, I am welcoming Christina Scott from Learn to Earn Dayton. Um, Christina is a relatively new executive director to Learn to Earn Dayton, though she's been in the field for a long time. So welcome, Christina. Hello. Thank you so much. And it's great to be talking to you about the work of Learn to Earn Dayton in Montgomery County, Ohio. So let's just jump right in. Tell me a little bit about the work that Learn to Earn Dayton has done. Tell me about its, its history and where you find yourself now. So Learn to Earn Dayton is a cradle-to-career initiative, and we work across Montgomery County, Ohio, um, which is the county that Dayton is in. We are celebrating our 10th year as a standalone organization, and we work from birth until um, folks are in the workforce uh, to make sure that everyone has access to the opportunities they need to be successful. And one of our key phrases is that talent is everywhere, but opportunity is not. And so we really work to break down barriers that are based on race, that are based on socioeconomic status, gender, um, geography, whatever we need to do so that truly every student has opportunities that they need to be successful. Wonderful. And so one of the reasons that I came to learn about to learn to earn Dayton was through our research study on networks for social impact in education. And one of the things that we found in that research is that you were one of the eight networks we identified as being successful and moving the needle on student achievement and how we measured it. Um, and that we found you really to be exemplary in terms of learning and systems alignment. So I want to kind of 
dive deep into that. Tell us a little bit about the the logic of change. How does Learn to Earn Dayton go about improving student outcomes from cradle to career? We're part of the National Strive Together Network. And so we have a set of metrics that we measure our work against. We measure kindergarten readiness, third grade reading, eighth grade math, high school graduation, post-secondary enrollment, and post-secondary completion. And so having that um, set of metrics that are rooted in research, rooted in best practice, and being able to manage to those is very helpful. There are so many things in this world we can measure. And so it is very helpful to be part of a national network that has said, these are the high impact practices. These are the high impact measurements. And then we can get down into um, some of the contributing factors. And so my introduction to this work was in Birmingham, Alabama, where I was running a statewide organization. I had read the article about collective impact in the Stanford Social Innovation Review, um, where the Strive Partnership was highlighted. And Jeff Edmonston, the founder of Strive, was coming to town a lot to do work as the Central Alabama area was putting together its own collective impact cradle-to-career initiative. And one of the things that he said is that when they started this work, they thought that the outcome they needed to measure against for college enrollment were high school field trips to college campuses. And what they discovered is that it was FAFSA completion. And so if a student completes their free application for federal student aid, they are so much more likely to attend college. And nine out of 10 students who complete their FAFSA attend college the following fall. They were able to set up a regression analysis and really see that that was the one measure that was critical for increasing college enrollment. And so from that, we also measure FAFSA completion across the 16 school districts in Montgomery County. And so the elegance of that is something that really appealed to me. And I think when you're thinking about systems alignment, it's really helpful to have a handful of things that you are working on your partners with and that you are asking them to devote resources beyond their day-to-day work. And so if you can say, here's a high impact practice, we are going to walk alongside you and Uh, align systems around you, provide you with data, provide you with professional development and a learning community, then we can work together to improve that outcome. And so in a, you know, in the world of education, in the world of community-based nonprofits, there are so many things to measure, so many things to look at. And so narrowing it down to those critical interventions I find is very helpful in improving network outcomes. And one of the reasons I was interested in coming to Learn to Earn Dayton is because that it does stand apart from other education networks in that it does have that culture of learning. Data is really a flashlight and it is really about uh, learning together to improve outcomes for students. And around aligning systems. And one of the things that is very important to this organization is the relationship that we have 
with our various public entities. And so whether it's the 16 public school systems, our educational service center, the city, the county, our public library, we really work hard to align the public entities and so that we're all walking in the same direction. And they they feel invested in the work and that is very powerful in order to make systems change. That's fantastic. And there's a lot there that I, I want to unpack with you. One of the things that I sometimes hear from networks leaders is they like the term systems alignment. They think it sounds good, but when they begin to think about what does it actually mean to do systems alignment work, it's a little tricky. So can you give us an example of what are some of the ways that you align systems around, let's say, one of the 16 school districts that are in Montgomery County? Having those common outcome measures is really the beginning, and it's one of the preconditions for systems alignment, because if you're clear on what you're measuring, what your um, goal is, and then that makes it easier to align things towards that goal. And so sometimes in aligning systems, is it more important in what you say no to than what you say yes to, because mm-hmm. there are, you can start of all walking in the same direction, you can start having diverging paths if you say yes to things that really are not serving um, one of your key performance indicators. And so um, there's always a struggle between meeting kids where they are, meeting families where they are, meeting your systems partners where they are, and really staying focused on the systems alignment piece. Because it's very, again, it's just very easy to say, oh, yeah, that's just a little thing. Let's do that. And then it can take you off into a whole different direction. And so um, I find that systems alignment is being really clear on who you are and what you're doing as an organization, um, not being afraid to say no when it doesn't really align. And then what you say yes to, you've you know, double down on those yeses and uh, also herding cats and make sure making sure everyone <laughs> continues on the same path. And so it is, it's a process and it can be challenging as a new leader in a community to think about doing systems alignment and respecting each school systems or each students and families journey. Um, but it is, it's a process and we are constantly working towards it. I mean, it, uh, alignment, I think about it in terms of a verb, as something that's being active and not a static state. So we are constantly aligning rather than trying to achieve a state of perfect alignment. That's good. I like that idea of it as a process. I think that's very accurate because I can imagine as a uh, network leader, you constantly have to be attuned to that or else things move out of a sync very quickly as organizations take on new priorities that come their way. So that's a really great analogy. Thank you. And it's something we got to manage internally and externally. It's not just about managing external alignment. I spent a lot of time in thinking about internal alignment as well. And so I want to recognize that um, it's a challenge, even for the folks who are asking you to align, it's a challenge for us too. Mm, That's good. 
Well, of almost all any of the networks that we've studied in, in this particular research report, Learn to Earn Dayton is probably the exemplar for using data. And you mentioned earlier that you like to use data as a flashlight. Can you tell me more? What do you mean by using data as a flashlight? What do you use data to do? How does it drive any of your processes? I'm thinking mostly about FAFSA completion, one, because I came from a statewide college access and attainment organizations and have done a lot of work around FAFSA completion. And it's also something that you get weekly updates on. And so it's really something that building in that continuous improvement is baked into the system. And it really isn't about when you're working with your partners to use data to drive outcomes. It's not about telling them what to do. It's about asking them where they are and what their barriers are, what's working well. And it is really about shifting ownership to the people who are closest to the work. And for FAFSA completion, we found that that's school counselors, um, they're typically going to be the person that is coordinating the work within a high school for students in their college going plans. And they can have champions like the government and economics teacher or a coach, um, the senior class sponsor, but the school's counselor is typically at the center of that. And so we send out regular email updates to our FAFSA champions uh, give them the data about where their classes are going, let them see where everyone else is, and then shift the conversation to them on what do they need to be successful? What is working? What If we gave you more resources, what would help you move the needle? And so it, it you know, that is a way of making it a flashlight. And one of the joys of this job is that we do get to deploy resources to our partners in schools and community-based organizations. And so we are not working in a culture of scarcity. Uh, we uh, have been very successful in building up our work as an intermediary organization. And so I think that also helps using data as a flashlight when you really truly can say, well, we're going to write this grant. And so if we get it, we will have resources for you. Um, or I've raised a pot of money to help you do this work. How can you be successful? And so it really does feel like we're using data as a flashlight to lift up the possibilities of work. Um, because in the world of nonprofits and in public institutions, more money can frequently mean more mission and so that's really how I how I think about it in terms of serving as an intermediary organization. And how can we do capacity building? Because um, when you have those conversations around data and finding out what is working or not working, that's often can surface issues around capacity that an organization might not feel comfortable coming to you directly about. And so... My goal is for each one of our partners to be successful and for me to think about how I can build their capacity to be even um, to really reach their true potential. And there is so much untapped potential for organizations and professionals in the social sector. And so I'm constantly thinking about how I lift up that capacity. 
That's great. I'd like you, if you could, tell me a little bit more about the data systems that you operate. So how does Learn to Earth Dayton manage? Where do you get this data from? And how does that work with 16 different school districts? Uh, we have a very close working relationship with the Montgomery County Educational Service Center, which provides services to the 16 school systems within Montgomery County. And we have very close relationships with each one of the 16 public school systems. Um, frankly, most of the data we use is publicly available data. It is, does not require a lot of infrastructure to get started. Um, it is really thinking about what we have and how do we use what we ha already have access to to drive conversations to improve outcomes. Um, schools really work on the basis of a school year. This year has been very disjointed as schools have gone in and out of remote learning, blended learning, in-person learning. And so this year has been a little less uh, planned out than usual. But we can use the data we have to work with our partners to plan to move forward. And again, by using publicly available data, it does not, that is another way that oddly it can be used as a flashlight because what we see is what anyone can see. And so it can bring that notion of um, partnering together think that brings that to bear. Now, you know, in our journey as a nonprofit, because we've been operating as an organization for 10 years and as a standalone nonprofit for five, I'm also thinking about how we build sustainability into our work and how we build the knowledge management and using that as a way to sustain the work. And so, um, I'm thinking about how do we maintain our data collection and use data in different ways than we have. I'm not sure what that looks like yet, but um, I think I'm going to skip ahead to a question you asked me before, which is what advice would I give other networks about starting to use data? And I would say, start with what you have. This is an iterative process. Um, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. If you don't have access to information, ask why and be persistent about asking why. Um, and that you often can uncover opportunities for systems change when you figure out what you don't have access to and then drive the conversation towards why it's important to have that access. And so both in my prior life and Learn to Earn, um, both organizations were really instrumental in advocating with their respective states, Ohio and Alabama, for school counselors to have access to the data that shows which student has completed a financial aid form and which one has not. And so neither, 
Alabama possible, my prior employer, or learn to earn. We don't have access to that database. But our school counselors were telling us over and over again, like, it's great that you told me that 98% of my class is built up out of FAFSA, but I don't know what 2% have not. Or I have 90% of my students who say they've completed their FAFSA, and your data shows that I'm at 50%. And I don't know, you know, clearly we have a disconnect here, and I don't know who I should be working with. And so by advocating for the school counselors and for educators themselves that have access to information about which students have completed it and which ones have not, and whether they've been selected for additional verification where they have to submit additional information, get access to financial aid, it really helped the school counselors be much more efficient and effective in their work with students on their post-secondary plans. And so it is a you know, they don't get a copy of the student's financial aid report. They don't get access to any information. But what they can do is say, okay, you've been submitted. It looks like you've been flagged for verification. Let's get you connected with your school's financial aid office so that we can work through this process. And so um, the understanding what data you have access to what data your partners have access to. You you don't always need to be the same things, but thinking about how you're going to use um, that barrier as an opportunity to advocate for better outcomes. And so the other thing I think about is how can we disaggregate the data in ways that makes sense? And so that's something else I'm thinking through right now. Um, We have disaggregated data by both race and gender and socioeconomic status. When I did our annual report this year, I went back to just doing it by district and doing it by race because I wanted to simplify things down. And also this year, race is the topic of conversation. And if I want it to be useful for other people to use to write grants, I knew that was the question they were going to ask. And so now I'm working on how do we build it back up so that we can see race, socioeconomic class, and socioeconomic status. In Ohio, it's called disadvantaged status. So how do we see race, disadvantaged status, and gender? And then look at the intersectionalities of those things. And so... Um, that's something that I'm working on with our data team here at the Montgomery County ESC to think about how we can build a dashboard that recognizes each one of those things and then the intersectionality of it. And then when we drill down into the intersectionality, we can discover things like we've got one subpopulation that really needs extra support in reading. Why is that? What do students and parents tell us about why they need extra supports in reading. And um, one of my takeaways from the report is let's not just point out the disparity, because I think that has the outcome of sometimes feeling like you're blaming the victim. Uh, You know, I don't want to say it is one subpopulation's problem that they're not reading at grade level, because it's really about the system itself that is producing that result. And that if you start with where you are and think about not the, you know, 
think about the systems that are producing that result, you will get to a better outcome. It isn't just, um, you know, educating and building awareness is really not going to solve the problem. So having, bringing a systems mindset will. Um, and I think that that is, uh, that's an opportunity for us. And then also thinking about how we do our involvement processes, because I think it's both and. Um, your reports talk about involvement and systems thinking, and I think it's a both and. You've got to have both the people who are impacted by the broken systems who are telling you what's going on. Like no one knows the system better than the people who are impacted by it. Um, I am not, a, I'm a white cisgender woman. I have no children. I have no idea what it's like to raise black children in Dayton, Ohio. And I need the involvement and the ownership of parents to tell me um, how to do my job and what to focus on. And then I can translate that up into the big systems and work with students and families on how we're going to break down those systems. And so, um, you know, so many of these things, it's both and it's not either or, and sometimes you're going to lean more on involvement. Sometimes you're going to lean more on systems change and it is really, you know, at different points in the journey, you're going to use different methods and tools to get where you need to go. Yeah, I think that, you know, you've hit on a lot of really great points there. One of them is that that disaggregation of data is often really tricky and it really requires a mindset shift to instead of thinking about the student or the families as the problem, thinking about the system that created the inequity as the problem. And so I, I wonder if you could reflect a little bit on how Learn to Earth Dayton have used that disaggregated data to begin really working towards addressing opportunity gaps. Um, how has data informed some of the work that you've been doing around equity and particularly racial equity? So I'm going to speak more on my observations and not on my personal involvement um, and leaning on the reports themselves, which talk about how we have uh, used disaggregated data to raise awareness, to bring attention to opportunity gaps and to um, use that entry point that if we know the opportunity gaps and understand what's going on, then um, our better angels will call upon us to address them. Um, and in the last year, I've had a big mindset shift in how I approach these things. I use data a lot in my last position and went all over the state of Alabama talking about why Alabama is persistently one of the poorest states and pointing out the opportunity gaps. Um, but in the last year, I have really had a mindset shift that unless if we unless we focus on those systems and put the people who are impacted by the systems at the center of our work, we are never going to get anywhere because we're we're going to keep making the same kinds of decisions that we have always made. It's what's comfortable for me. Um, and so I'm going to continue to use that mindset. But if I really think about how I engage with people impacted 
by systems, then I am much more likely to have effective systems change. You know, we've done a really good job of shifting ownership to educators at Learn to Earn Dayton. And so the real opportunity for us moving forward is shifting ownership to students and families. And so whether that is, a, you know, whether you're disadvantaged or black and in Dayton, um, our, we have very few people who are not, do not either fit white or black or black, white, multiracial. That is almost the entire community. Um, and so if we don't put those folks in the center of our work, then we're never going to change the systems. And so that's really where I think that involvement and systems change are mutually um, dependent uh, conditions. You know, I also think about how if we don't start naming the disparities that exist for our Latino families, that we are also going to create conditions where they can grow and persist. And so um, while it is true that in Dayton, the most folks fit somewhere uh, black, white or black, white, multiracial, something that I want to do is really start teasing out more of the racial disparities to paint a fuller picture of our community. Because if you don't measure it, you can't fix it. And I want to be cognizant that there are systems that might be impacting the success of Latino families, of Asian American families. And so how, you know, how do we, how do we focus more broadly on our work around race inequities and systems? And how do we build alliances that um, address those disparities across the board? Um, you, you know, if you don't measure it, it just becomes invisible. And I don't want anyone to feel invisible uh, and recognized, you know, again, as I was doing our annual report this year, I really intentionally scaled it back to just race and black and white. And because I really felt like I needed to bring it back to its barest essentials. And so that then I could listen to people's reactions. I could think about what questions the data wasn't answering and think about how we're going to build on a foundation around that. And so that's been um, also one of my big takeaways is that we should be, you know, where possible, where there's enough student data to report it we should be reporting on racial groups other than black and white. Um. Good. Well, I, I mean, you started to hit on this already, but I wonder as we wrap up here, can you talk a little bit about um, where do you see Learn to Earn Dayton going in the future? What, you're stepping into the role in the middle of a pandemic of the executive director of, of this 10-year-old network and one that has achieved quite a bit of success what do you look forward towards um, as you take us into a post-pandemic reality? So uh, I see that, you know, what's next for Learn to Earn Dayton is continuing to operate as a learning organization, um, to continue to rely on data and to be able, being able to drive systems change. And I think that an interesting um shift in my work and my thinking is I came from Birmingham, Alabama. 
It is very, the conversation around race in Birmingham is very different than it is in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, Birmingham is internationally known for its history of racism. And in Dayton, we don't have that written history. It is much more of a hidden history around the legal segregation and discrimination. Um, you know, we are, we were one of the most redlined cities in America. We continue to be one of the most segregated cities in America in Dayton, but we don't have the vocabulary, a shared vocabulary, a shared set of images to be able to work through some of those issues. And so um, I really want to listen to people in Dayton. I want to ask some difficult questions. I want to put students and families at the center of the work. And I think by doing that, then we can think about what future do we want to create together. And one of my favorite phrases is more will be revealed. So I don't know what that future looks like. I know that I'm going to keep working at it. My board is going to keep working at it. My colleagues are going to keep working at it because we will achieve much more as a community when we are willing to be uncomfortable and to are willing to work through some of these challenging conversations. Dayton, at the turn of the 20th century, Dayton was the Silicon Valley of its time. It had more patents per capita than any place else in America. And I know that spirit of innovation and entrepreneurship and risk-taking is here. Um, and so by building on that history and being willing to take some risks, we will achieve so much more in the end. But there's no roadmap for this work. It's not like I can, you know, type in on my map, my uh, Google Maps, it says, you know, what's the way to economic prosperity. I do know we have our milestones. We have our key performance indicators. And if we keep a mindset on that, uh, our mind focused on that and um, be learning and again, being willing to be uncomfortable, then we will get to a better place. So I am excited about what the future can hold. And there are really great things happening in Dayton, Ohio, and want to think about how do we scale up that work? How do we make sure that we um, really institutionalize what we have done and work together to create a better future for our community? That's fantastic. So if people want to learn more about what you've been up to and where you're going, where can they learn more about Learn to Earn Dayton? Um, wh what websites, what social media are you on? Where can people tune in? Okay. We're on the web at learntoearndayton.org. Spell out to T-O. Uh, we're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can search for Learn to Earn Dayton. And we really learn by being part of networks and being part of learning communities. And so I look forward to continuing this conversation and learning, um, seeing what else we can learn together. Wasn't that just a fantastic conversation? 
If you'd like to learn more about the research that Christina and I were discussing, please visit on the web at nnsi.northwestern.edu and download the reports in the series Networks for Social Impact in Education. And there you can learn more about how you can use systems alignment and learning theories of change to make a social impact and more about the equity report that Christina particularly referenced and how you might combine both involvement and systems change processes in order to better center equity at the center of your work. 